Hey guys, it's Kat and it's time for another episode of True Tea. Now I've done this a few times before, but this is going to be a rerun episode. We've been having some conversations on my YouTube channel about hypersexuality after sexual abuse. And so I thought that it would be a good time for me to have a call-in show about just that. So I wanted to play for you guys my episode about that and open up the calls next week for um, other people who want to call in and share a bit about their own experiences with hypersexuality after abuse. And so without further ado, here is that episode. This is honestly one of the many conversations I've been having with myself in quarantine. Um, And it's something that, especially as I listen to other survivors um, and their own experiences and as I have become closer to a lot of people in my sex positive community out in Los Angeles, there's just um, common threads, things that make you think. And I've been thinking a lot about my hypersexuality as a response to sexual trauma. I've never talked to you guys about the first time I consider myself having sex because obviously when I was raped, that's not sex um, to me, you know? Um, but the first time I had sex, it was like an, an incredibly, um, it was an incredibly shitty, shitty, shitty experience. Um, I was 16. I was at a summer school, um, for the arts. <laughs> I went to CalArts has like this, um, California state summer school, of the arts, um, that I went to and it was, oh God, it was, it was a really fun experience. And I, <laughs> <laughs> lost my virginity um, to this guy who had a physical list of people he wanted to have sex with at camp. <laughs> and God, you know, I remember being 16 and like thinking that it was so special that I was having sex with him. And honestly, it was so terrible. Like, uh, God, I remember the first time I had sex. I was like, I never want to do this again. I don't ever want to do this. Like, why did I even want to do this? You know, um, it was so bad. We use, we use lotion. I'll just say Jergens. I remember the brand Jergens lotion. And listen, if you bought him, you know, that that's just not a good time all around for nothing fragrance. But anyway, <laughs> um, it was a bad experience for me. Um, and it felt, it was made even worse by the fact that after we had sex, he had told me about this fucking list that he had. And I felt totally disgusting. Growing up, I was raised very Christian. Um, and very, very, very Christian. Y'all, I went to Christian private school somewhere out in the ether. There is the Christian album, the singing album that I recorded in the fourth grade. Ah, oh, Christ, I did it. Oh God, I sing a Christian album in the fourth grade. I remember thinking I was going to be the next Britney Spears girl, the delusions, the fourth grade delusions. But um, I grew up very, very, very deeply religious. And this does not make any sense. This is like not a logical thing. I remember thinking that Jesus would be very upset with me if I had sex before the age of 18. Um, I remember that. I remember really deeply internalizing that. Um, and if you follow my channel, you know that when I was 15, um, I was groomed and assaulted. Um, and 15 was um, early, early, early days of me expressing myself in a feminine way. Um, I had met this artist online on a transgender dating site. 
um, and I was underage on that website and he gave me a job and was paying me. It was this whole thing. Um, and yeah, it was a really traumatic experience. And that experience was not one that I had fully processed, um, at all. Um, you know, until fairly recently, relatively, like honestly, within the past, like six years, probably I'd say I would really processed it. Um, you know, because for years I had internalized that experience as like my fault because of how I was dressing, because I was very aware of the fact that he was sexually attracted to me. I really did for a while view sex as survival. Sex was what I was doing um, to survive. It was something that I was doing for men to give me a place to stay, food to eat, money, you know, things that I needed back when I felt unsupported you know, by my family. Now, my family has always been weird in that they've supported me in terms of like caring about me as their child, but home was always really antagonistic to me. Every single time I did something that I felt good about um, physically with my body, my dad would just make me feel like I was a piece of shit um, to every time. And so it became really clear that it was a toxic environment for me and that I needed to get the fuck out as soon as possible. And ultimately what that meant was that I met that guy who assaulted me when I was 15. And just from that point forward, it was a downward spiral of being abused, um, over and over and over again. I say all this to say that my early days of sex were, were very negative. What I've recognized about my own processing of sexual violence and the way that I've experienced it is that it's really shifted my boundaries. And obviously, as I've embarked on this life the past five years of wanting to live honestly and polyamory and BDSM and all these other things, you know, one, one of the things that's become really obvious to me is that time when I was in on um, those parties and stuff, like that really desensitized me quite a bit. The earliest parties that I went to, um, I was talking to this guy, you know, right before I turned 18. And he literally took me to my first swinger party the, the, the week I turned 18. And, you know, looking back, that was real big pimping for him. This guy had to be in his 50s. I'm sure this guy passed away by now. He was like in his 50s. Old, old, old Dom dude. Um, he had a slave that he lived with. I remember thinking that was so weird back then. Because cause, cause the slave, they had like a pet play kind of dynamic. Because I didn't understand it. That was the thing. I really didn't understand it back then. They they had a pet play dynamic. And she would like live in this little cage. Um and that was like their whole life. Like they did this 24 seven. Um, and it was like really weird to me back then. And I remember thinking, oh God, that BDSM stuff. <laughs> Little did I know. I remember going to these parties and just really wanting to belong and wanting to be there. I wanted to belong. And this was one of the only spaces, especially at that weird age before 21, um, where I felt I could come and be myself and be embraced and, and, and feel free and all this other stuff. And, you know, it was just this sort of avalanche of emotions. You know, I, I didn't really want to have sex 
but I also saw sex as such a currency. And I knew that having sex meant that I belonged. Those parties for me were very complex because on one hand, I was in a situation where I was being socially accepted. At least it felt that way. I was 18. People wanted me there. I was pretty. I'll just, I'll say pretty. I don't know how to just, you know, suggest it other than that. I got a lot of attention. And at these parties, it was bizarre because I was getting, I was, I was in the beginning of like building what felt like a family, you know, people really liked me there. There were other, there were some, there were like some older trans women there that were really, really good people for me to meet back then because, you know, I was so early in my time as a trans person that like I needed to see older, established trans girls. The two women who kind of took me under their wing and who were honestly pimping me in a lot, in a lot of ways. Um, of course you see this now, but back then you don't quite see it. They both passed away and they both actually passed away. Not too, too far away from each other. Um, they're best friends too. Um, it was real sad. I remember being really sad about it, but the party I used to go to the owner of the party would kind of like strategically have me standing in front of like the doorway a little bit so that like the men who were coming to the party would kind of him and ha about like whether or not they'd want to come to this party. And then they'd see me there. And, you know, looking back, I, pr- I had to look like a child. Like I had to look like a child, like, cause I've always looked pretty young, but like I had to look like a child back then. Um, so God, that, that just seems even creepier now. What would happen at these parties is the owner would come and there'd be some dude, him and Han at the, the doorway. And, you know, she would come and, 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 and grab me by the hand and would connect me with this new guy and would all, but basically promise me to this guy. And these guys were almost always men that I would never want to do anything with, but I was so desperate to belong. I was so desperate to like, feel embraced um, that I got went with it. And at these sort of parties, um, you do one thing with one person and the next thing you know, other people are joining in. And if you say no, you're a stuck up bitch and you don't want to be a stuck up bitch, do you? And like I said, up to this point, I had already established this narrative of sex is a thing I, I can offer people, you know, sex is this thing that I can give, you know, I know that when, as I'm telling these stories, people are, you know, cause people said this in my story about um, me using men. I know that a lot of this doesn't make sense to you guys. Like you guys could probably hear this story and see all the things you wouldn't do, but trauma it doesn't, I mean, trauma doesn't often allow you to think rationally. You know, obviously the people at this sex party where I'm a 19 year old and everyone's like 30 to 60, obviously they were exploiting me, but it didn't quite feel that way back then. I went to these parties for a while until I recognized what it was, you know, I mean, at, at shit, how old was I? My junior year, I think I was, I was, I was 20. I think I was 20 at 20. Um, I, (laughs) 
started to feel like I was better than those parties and that I didn't, I, I, I had more of a, I had more friends. I had, um, partners kind of, you know, I had men that were sort of kind of dating me and I really felt like I didn't need that sort of space anymore. And so I really started distancing myself. Um, I've talked about this also before, but, um, these parties are also how I got into sex work. Um, I was a cam girl for a little bit of time and it was an incredibly demeaning experience for me. Um, but it also felt like it was another one of those, well, what, what do I have kind of situations? I've got my body. So I used my body and I made a little bit of money. I mean, not anything to write home about in terms of income, but I made a little bit of money. Um, and it was an incredibly demeaning experience and I never want to do it ever again. So I had established a pattern of sex as currency. And one of the things that I think I recognized when I was really thinking about what I was doing at those parties was I was being self-destructive in a way that I didn't totally like recognize. It was almost suicidal, honestly. It was almost, it was kind of like that. It was kind of like I was putting myself at risk and knowing that, understanding that because my self-image was so low because I had so much of a, a shitty view of what I felt I deserved in life. And I did not like myself a lot. I had a lot of dysphoria. I had a lot of insecurity. I had a very, 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 very low self-image. And I just felt like dying all the time. And going to those parties was like a part of me dying every single time because I knew it was dangerous. I knew that it was risky, but I, I want it to belong. And in, in, a, in a weird fucked up way back then, that was how I belonged. That doing those things was how I belonged. And in a weird fucked up way, those parties were more affirming and accepting of, of me than literally any other space in my life. More than the relationships I had with men, more than my college experience, more than my parents. These swinger parties where I was essentially being exploited constantly were more affirming to me than literally anything else. I think about that a lot. I think about that a lot because... God is that fucked up now to think about, but that was my normal. It really, really, really desensitized me. Now it's to me, it's desensitized me in kind of a funny way where very little phases me, you know, where I can go to a really crazy sex party and have no interest in the sex stuff. Um, and have a really great time. One thing that will happen with me when I go to these events now, I mean, not now, obviously, but like when we could go to these events, but one of the things that will happen is I'll see someone who is who was my age. Like if I see a 21-year-old at these parties, I get real I guess I don't know. I, I'm not really protective, but I watch. You know, because I know you like listen, if you talked to me back at those parties when I was 18, 19, 20, I wouldn't listen. I wouldn't listen at all. I would not listen to you tell me that this was a bad thing at all. 
I'd be like, fuck you for telling me, you know, what I can and can't do for trying to control me. I know what I'm doing. I'm grown. You know, I've talked about this before, but I, ever since I was a teenager, people have been like, you're so mature for your age, which as you get older, it becomes creepier and creepier because you realize that it was like a way for grown men to justify having a relationship with you. You're so mature for your age. I wasn't. <laughs> I had a very expansive vocabulary, but I wasn't mature for my age. I was just good at seeming like I was. <laughs> um, <sighs> boy, this is a hard conversation for me to have. I'm realizing how hard it is for me to talk about this. But, but yeah, I mean, one of the reasons why I want to make this video is because it's very common for you to have an experience, you know, that was sexually violent and your reaction to that experience to be hypersexuality. You know, for me, again, one of the helpful things for me in processing my own trauma has been naming it understanding that that's what it is. So yeah, I think part of why I wanted to talk about this was just honestly to get other people's perspective. I don't need you to go into detail about stuff, but I remember I saw a video on here not too long ago um, from a girl who was talking about a similar experience where she, as a reaction to sexual violence, became hypersexual. And um, it was helpful in me processing my own stuff. And I commented saying, hey, this is really com common. It's very common for you to um, do hypersexual shit after you've gone through stuff. Because I know, I, like for me, it was like I had just learned sex as like a different thing. I'd learned sex as like a tool. I'd learned sex as like a thing that would help me. And... It's been really important for me as an adult to fully reframe sex in a healthier way, which is why I'm so sex positive, which is why I'm so open, because for me, that's that's healthy. That's my version of healthy. Um, and as I get older and as I sort of understand more about myself, I am accepting that holding boundaries is really, you can do that. You can do that, you know? And my sex life now is so much more joyous. It's like the most joyous it's ever been. And that's such a happy thing for me to say um, and, and feel and experience because it what has not always been, it often has not been. It has often been quite miserable. You know, I didn't have sex with somebody who cared about me until I met my ex, you know? Most of the relationships I've had with men that were sexual were very, very abusive. Men who were exploiting me from a young age because I was trans, you know, you know, abusing me. It was, it was real. It was real fucking bad, you know? And so I'm glad that I have kind of come out of that. I'm glad that that's no longer my reality and that I have healthy functional relationships with people who care about me because frankly, the sex is so much better. Like if I, if, if I need it to be better, the sex is so much better when someone actually gives a fuck about you. That's an, that's obvious, but you know, 
it's nice to actually know from experience. So anyway, I don't know if this video ended up being productive, but I wanted to share this, these thoughts with you guys and tell you guys a bit of that story because again, I'm trying to name my trauma to change it. And I don't need to do that with you or for you, but I know that oftentimes me sharing my little growth and things is helpful to other people. And I love reading comments from you guys because it often helps me process my own shit. Um, so thank you for that. Anyway, I am um, going to end it here. Please give me your true tea in the comment box below. If you've had a similar experience, I would really appreciate hearing from you if you feel comfortable sharing. So yeah, I'm looking forward to reading the comments on this. Anyway, if you made it through this video, please put this emoji in the comment section below. The emoji is what all the cool kids do because everyone who's cool does the emoji. It's just, it's just set in stone. Moses put it there, you know, like he, he said that he, he said that. <laughs> anyway, that's it. I'll talk to you guys next week. Right now you're looking at two videos you can watch if you'd like to continue to sip true tea right here on this channel. And in the corner, there are several ways you can send me a tip if that's something that you would like to do. Anyway, I'll talk to you guys later. Bye.